This is the Master Brewers Podcast, brought to you by the Master Brewers Association of the Americas, a volunteer organization dedicated to continually improving the products and processes of our membership since 1887. Master Brewers brings you interviews with the industry's best and brightest in brewing science, technology, and operations. This episode was made possible by the following sponsors. Dare to Brew Different with new and exciting hop varieties from Hopsteiner's industry-leading breeding program. Varieties like Sultana, Lotus, Bravo, Altus, and Contessa are now available in lupulin pellet form, packing more flavor and aroma per pellet. Discover more at hopsteiner.com. Additional support provided by... Every beer has a story, and that's why, for over 95 years, Gusmer Enterprises has offered a full line of solutions, including equipment, analytical instrumentation, and processing aids, all brought to you from leading suppliers and backed by strong technical support. For the solution to your story, go to gusmerbeer.com. And thanks also to Brew Ninja, a brewery software solution that streamlines your day-to-day operations, including inventory, accounting, sales, and compliance, so that you can focus on making great beer. Listeners of this podcast will receive a unique offer by going to getbrewninja.com and using the code BREWNINJA21. We call it that the Russian roulette installation. It's not a matter of if it's going to break, it's just a matter of when it's going to break. Today on the show, Dan Stromberg joins us to discuss industry best practices for glycol system piping. You'll learn how to balance your system, how to size headers for correct flow rates and velocity, which pipe materials to consider, why the ubiquitous solenoid valve is a bad choice, and more. This episode originally aired in November of 2017. We'll be back next week with a brand new episode that you won't want to miss. I bet a lot of brewers don't think about balancing glycol lines until after they've experienced tanks that don't cool properly. How about describing what I mean by an unbalanced system, the problems related to that type of installation, and how to go about balancing a system? So when you have an unbalanced system, normally what you have is that the pipe, the supply and return follow the same path. And what you get is that the first tank from the supply side have the shortest uh, run from the chiller out to the tank. And then it also will have the shortest run from uh, the tank back to the chiller. So in that way, if you look on the linear foot that the pipe have to flow is very short. And then the last tank on the system have the longest way to go for the supply and it also have the longest way to go for the return. So of course, uh, the fir- that tank will have harder to get the same uh, glycol flow as the first one. So this is what we call an unbalanced design. And the best way to, to deal with this is to try to see do a balanced design that's called first in, last out. And what we mean with that is that the first tank that get glycol should be the last tank that 
going back to the uh, shelter. So in that way, what you get is that the tank on the supply, if that had the shortest run on the supply out to the tank, it have the longest run back to the shiller. And what we also then get with this design is that the tank that have the longest run of pipe out to the tank, is gonna get the shortest run back to the shiller. So we literally get about the same linear footage for the flow, for the glycol to flow totally among all the tanks. And now we don't have problems that one tank get colder than another one that have easier to get flow and so on. The thing you can do, of course, is putting on balancing valve, but now it starts to get expensive and complicated and, and so on. This is a simple way to solve the problem. So for those folks that already have sort of an unbalanced system in place, um, I, I've heard them referred to as circuit setters. I, I assume that's what you mean. You could put that on at each individual tank to control the flow if you're kind of already stuck with an unbalanced system, right? Yes. You, you put on what's called a balancing valve. And that balancing valve, to do it correct, should really be put on the return side so you don't put it in going into the tank you really put it on the uh, outlet from the tank back to the return and in that way you can regulate how much flow each tank get but it costly it's a lot of, of uh, work to balance the whole thing so you spend more money and you need to spend more time on that also yeah, and I, I guess you also probably want to avoid situations where you're um, creating pressure on the return side of your tank too, right? Yes, exactly. Let's talk about header sizing. How should a brewer go about sizing a new glycol header or determining if they could add more tanks to an existing header? So it's uh, very simple, really, if you think of it. It's not so complicated. What you need to know is how much flow each of your tanks, each of your fermenters need, and each of your bright tanks, and then you also normally have a wort cooler or maybe even have a, a the walking cooler that's run on the glycol thing. So what you then try to figure out, so if we go from the basic, you take your fermenter, you go to your tank manufacturer and you ask him, how much flow do I need per jacket to get my tank to work? And then he normally should be able to give you that one. If he can't give you, there is a golden rule in between the thumbs that normally works, and that is for smaller tanks and so on. You go with uh, 10 gallons per minute if you have a really big one. Maybe you even need 15 gallons per minute per jacket. And now, when you then add up your, all your flow, you get the total flow rate. So you take the flow rate needed for all your fermenters, all your brights, heat exchanger, and so on. And now you need know how much flow is going to be needed for the pipe to handle this. But there is a twist on this. Not all of your tanks are going to be calling for cooling at the same time. You might have one tank that's already in, in you cleaning that tank for now. You would have some that uh, you are on a 
patch filling. You might have some that have reached their temperature and so on. So you ask yourself, okay, how many maximum will be calling for cooling at the same time? And then you take that flow number and, okay, for example, if we just draw the number, say that it's 100 gallons per minute. Okay, with 100 gallons per minute, what pipe size do I need? And to define the pipe size, uh, there is a golden rule also here. And it's in fact an ASHRAE recommendation this time on system design. So what you try to do is you try to look on the economy on pumping this flow. That means that if you have too small of a pipe size and try to force too much flow, too much gallon per minute through the pipe, you need to increase your speed. And when you increase the speed, the pressure drop uh, increases. So the golden rule is this. If you have just the standard pumps from the Schiller unit, you try to aim on five feet per second in speed or less. And if you have a variable speed pump, you can go up to seven and a half feet per second because that pump's gonna adjust for uh, the different need. So now when we have this, uh, let me explain a little bit on, on what happens if you try to use too small of a pipe. If you, for example, go from five feet per second in speed in your pipe to seven and a half feet per second in your pipe, that's an increase of the velocity with 50%. And if you say, okay, I'm going to run seven and a half feet instead of five feet, I increase with 50%. The big surprise to many is that your pressure drop will it not increase with 50%, your pressure drop will increase with 225%. That means that now you need maybe bigger pumps uh, or they need to work harder and, and you're going to need more energy and you need, you need more effort to pump around. So this is where we found the sweet spot. If you keep yourself around this, you get most bang for the bucks. Dan, I've seen a lot of different kinds of pipe used for glycol systems over the years. Could you talk about some of the most common pipe materials and mention the pros and cons of each? Okay, so let's start with the metal pipes. Uh, copper is a very common material, but as you know, works really great, but the disadvantage is the thermal conductivity of the pipe it really leads the really good so you definitely need a lot of insulation on it also very expensive very desirable for thieves uh, and that's one of the negatives on that pipe but otherwise normally a lot of people can install copper carbon steel is another material but you need to paint that and surface treat it so you don't get any corrosion on the outside. It's heavy, it's time consuming to install, and of also there, you know, you of course need insulation. 
stainless steel. Some of the breweries, they go with stainless steel because they have stainless steel all over the place. But really, it's a little bit overkill for this material. And also here, you need really good welder to have this installed because if you do a bad weld, you will get corrosion on the inside uh, rather quick on that one. And also here, needs to be well insulated to avoid um, condensation and mold and also corrosion. When we look on uh, plastic materials, we have one material that people probably think of, and that's PVC. PVC is not the material to use for glycol systems. Uh, it's very easy to understand when you know the pipe material. The lowest temperature limit for PVC is 32 degree F. And that means that normally in your brewery you're running 28, maybe all the way down to 23 on your glycol. So you're outside the operating limit for the material. And you also have that, that uh, PVC is not resistant to uh, propylene glycol. You will not find any uh, producer of PVC pipe on the market that would recommend it for propylene glycol because it's not resistant. Uh, the propylene glycol act like a uh, stress agent. That means any stress, any water hammer, anyone comes close or bump the whole thing and you have probably even quicker than you had without propylene glycol, you have a crack and you have a failure of your pipe. Also, if you have PVC installed and something happened and you, cont uh, you contact your insurance company, the insurance company will not cover because they realize you used the wrong material. Uh, other plastic material you can use, you have uh, something called CoolFit ABS. CoolFit ABS is a specialized uh, ABS material it's not the drain and waste piping you think of normally for ABS. This is for pressurized fluid and it can handle temperatures down to minus 58 compared to the PVC that only can go to 32 degree F. So that material uh, is an excellent material to use for this one. Uh, there is polyethylene like P100. That, uh, by the way, ABS is solvent cemented and quick and easy to install, but it needs to be insulated. Uh, PE100, here you weld it, and uh, normally a very decent cost of the material, but you have more expansion contraction than other plastics. Also here, insulation is needed, and you need normally to rent welding equipment and so on. Pegs. Some people use pegs for this one. The disadvantage with the pegs is that it's hard to find stiff, straight pipes. So it normally comes on a roll and it gets not so beautiful to install. It's rather, uh, look rather messy out there. And it only have mechanical couplings. Uh, so you can't get a fully welded or fully solvent cemented system. Size range is a little bit limited on these also. When it comes to pre-insulated piping, uh, that's really a way to go and make it easy for you. There is one that's called CoolFit ABS Lite. That one have an Armaflex insulation already on. 
And the one that we see in a lot of breweries is Coolfit ABS Plus. That material is a pre-insulated material with both pipes and fittings pre-insulated. It's maintenance-free, it's energy efficient, it's very easy to install. Can also be power washed, chemically washed, have very low expansion rate, and it's totally UV resistant. Uh, you're probably gonna see a lot of these, the Coolfit ABS Plus, they recognize as the black pipe that you see out on, on breweries, and there's a lot of breweries using that. Okay. Dan, insulation shouldn't be but often is an afterthought for some startup brewers. Tell us why insulation is so important and what happens when you end up with even very small gaps in the insulation. So with the insulation, that's normally the shock for to do it yourself and so on. If you take insulation materials and add it up and get it installed on your piping, you're going to see that sometimes the insulation itself costs more than the actual piping you have. But if you do it yourself and you don't uh, seal it so you get a vapor type system, even one broken vapor seal and now you have a flow in between your pipe and the outside and now you have easily then moisture, even ice build up. If you have metal pipe, you get corrosion, easily get mold. And of course, you don't want to have mold in your brewery. And um, it just takes one vapor seal on a whole system and then it slowly starts to break down. For example, ice can then start breaking, building under the insulation and then start its way and then it just gets worse and worse and worse. So normally then you end up with a lot of, of maintenance work and you get you lose your efficiency because it don't insulate it as it should be. better alternative to solenoid valves, and more. I'm John Bryce, and you're listening to the Master Brewers Podcast from the Master Brewers Association of the Americas. There's really only one thing that keeps this podcast going, and that's when listeners like you take the time to thank our sponsors. The next time you talk to a rep from one of these companies, be sure to thank them for their generous support. Get to know Proximity Malt. We malt superior, European-style, low-protein varieties grown close to home in Delaware and Colorado. Domestically grown, precisely malted to style. With our team of seasoned experts and two brand-new malt houses, try what's really new in malt. Check us out at www.proximitymalt.com. Brew Monitor from Precision Fermentation works with your existing fermentation tanks to track dissolved oxygen, pH, gravity, pressure, temperature, and conductivity in real time from any smartphone, tablet, or PC. Get started for 30 days risk-free. Visit precisionfermentation.com MBAA. Even the best yeast deserves a helping hand with seltzer fermentation which is why Pathfinder N-Pure Seltzer Nutrient ensures reliable and complete fermentation of a seltzer base while providing a clean, neutral fermentation profile. 
Not to mention, it provides all the essential nutrients required by yeast for production of hard seltzer bases fermented from those sweet, refined sugars. Give your seltzer yeast a boost by visiting bsgcraftbrewing.com and searching for Pathfinder NPR Seltzer Nutrient, or call BSG at 1-800-374-2739. There's one more sponsor I should mention, and that's Muntins, offering a wide range of malted ingredients sourced within a 50-mile radius of their maltings. Listen to Nigel Davis discuss sustainability at Muntins on episode 206. And here's what's coming up on the Master Brewers calendar. District Midwest meets at the Yellow Springs Brewery Barrel Room September 18th. District Eastern Canada holds a webinar September 22nd. September 23rd is a busy day. District St. Louis has a golf outing. Districts Mid-South and Milwaukee have meetings. District Georgia meets at Southern Brewing in Athens September 24th. The District Ontario 2021 Iron Brewer Competition is September 24th. District Carolinas meets in Greenville October 1st and 2nd. District Northwest will hold its annual meeting in Hood River October 22nd and 23rd. There's one big meeting that's on my calendar. I hope it's on yours. 2021 Master Brewers Conference will be October 28th through the 30th in Cleveland. Registration is open now. And don't forget the world-famous Master Brewers Brewing and Malting Science course begins October 31st. Check out the full calendar of events at mbaa.com for more details or to find a district meeting near you. Master Brewers offers a wide range of resources for breweries of all sizes and stages. Stay current on the latest scientific advancements, technical information, and industry trends by joining Master Brewers. Join today and use offer code BEER2021 to save 20% on dues now through December 31st, 2021. Master Brewers, united we brew. Now back to the show. Do you have any um, rules for uh, typical ratings or thicknesses of insulation for, for glycol pipe? For glycol pipe, there is also here, there is a minimum pipe insulation thickness from uh, ASHRAE and it's building on, uh, it's an ASHRAE code and it's called the 90.1-2010, it's an energy standard and that one is just an energy standard. So just to have it as, uh, make sure that people do efficient system and don't waste money down the drain. Uh, you're looking on a glycol system with sizes under uh, one inch, half inch thickness, and uh, everything up to about eight inch, you need one inch thickness. And uh, this is based on uh, insulation with a conductivity of 0.20 to 0.26 BTU per inch. Uh, So that's the uh, thermal conductivity value. If you have other values, then it's gonna be others. But that's just for energy efficient, but you really need to insulate for condensation control. Because if you, it could be that you follow this, but you still get condensation because 
you have a high humidity, yeah, you have a high ambient temperature. When you look in a brewery, in bigger breweries, we put the cellar where we have the fermentation in a separate room, okay? But in smaller breweries, what do we do? We have a brew house and we have next to that the fermentation tanks. And if you look on the brew house, you add heat inside the building and you also add moisture. So you tend to be really high on humidity and high on ambient temperature. And humidity plays a huge role in how much insulation you need, as do uh, temperature, but in fact, humidity plays even a bigger role than in, in fact the temperature do. Let's get into glycol piping at the fermenter. Could you talk about the difference between parallel and serial piping for jackets on fermentation vessels? I sure can. So there's two ways normally to pipe a fermenter. And um, the general rule um, um, that you should do is that the cold glycol should go in in the jacket on the lower connection and out on the uh, upper connection. But normally these days on the tanks, you have uh, mostly two or more jackets per tank. Normally you have one jacket down on the cone and then you can have two, one jacket up on the, the circular way on the uh, tank and even maybe two, three, even more than that. And uh, one way to feed is, and the best way to feed is really what we call a parallel feed. So you take your cold glycol, you go down and you feed it in to the lowest uh, point on your jacket down on the cone and then extract it on the top connection on that cone and then uh, on send it back up to the header. Uh, the same thing with the other jackets. You feed in on the low side and out on the top side. In, with this so-called parallel feed, you get the same temperature glycol into all jackets because they all feed the same temperature in. What some people do, and I don't really recommend this, they feed in to the cone but instead of feeding back out to the, uh, up to the header from the um, return, they take the return from that cone and they feed that glycol in to the supply on the next jacket. And maybe from that jacket when it comes out, feed into the next jacket. So really what happens here is that you're gonna get the coldest glycol going in in the lower jacket on the cone and then it slowly heats up and then you feed a higher temperature glycol to the next jacket and even a higher one to the top. So literally what you get if you look on the tank, you get the lowest temperature on the glycol in the bottom and you get the warmest glycol on the top. Uh, not so efficient and people who have tried both they are surprised what a big difference it makes. Yeah, it also has the disadvantage of if you ever want to operate the, the jackets independently, you can't do that, you know? That's correct. That's correct. With a, with a parallel feed, you can put the valves on 
2D things. So you can, for example, if you do a half batch, close the top. If you have the batch under the top jacket, you can close off the top jacket because if you feed the top jacket and you don't have fluid on the inside of the tank up to that jacket, that jacket's going to make the tank cold and you could get a chance of ice building on the inside of the tank up there and then after a while it gets so heavy so it falls down in the beer that are during fermentation. That's right. Okay, what type of valve should folks be using for glycol delivery at the ferment at the fermentation vessels? You're going to see a lot of solenoid valves here and there is a better way to do it because also when you talk to the people and you valve and breweries, what is the one of the biggest problems? It's the solenoid valve. Normally with the solenoid valve for it to work, they have a lot of small servo channels, tiny channels that act as a servo for the valve to really function. But if you have any dirt or debris in your line, it's not cleaned up, that gets stuck in these channel and it don't work. And also, they have, uh, looks like, like a shorter lifespan in general. And uh, the disadvantage with a solenoid valve, if you want to service a valve, you need to put a manual valve before the solenoid and after the solenoid, otherwise you can't service the valve whatsoever. What we instead recommend is to go with an actuated ball valve. Uh, with an actuated ball valve, you can have an actuator that's electric or pneumatic. Uh, here, you don't need to put a manual valve before or after because if something happened with the actuator, you can take it off and you can still have the whole thing working without any interruption. Most of these valves are also manual overrides, so you can go there and manually operate these. Another benefit with using a ball valve, it's not sensitive, as I said, to the debris and so on, because you have a full port. And if we, for example, have elected to go with a one-inch drop for our tank, just as an example. If you have a solenoid valve installed, that solenoid valve in one inch have so much flow restriction, so you don't probably get the flow that you expected to get. For an example, if you want the same flow as your pipe, uh, and it's one inch, you need a two inch solenoid valve. And that's a surprise for many. So activated ball valves is definitely something I can recommend and you will have almost no problems at all uh, because it's really, it's a workhorse and it works and you get great flows with it. Dan, what are some of the most common mistakes uh, you've seen in breweries? Some of the common mistakes, I mean, probably the most common one is the choice of wrong material, like using PVC. And, and as we call it, and just to know, our company invented the solvent cement for PVC for over 60 years ago. We are one of the biggest PVC manufacturers in the world. And I'm saying this together with all other producers out there uh, of PVC, it will not work. 
and we call it that the Russian roulette installation. It's not a matter of if it's going to break, it's just a matter of when it's going to break. Other things that's typical uh, we see, uh, of course, very, very bad with the insulation. Anytime you see water condensation on your pipe or ice, you are throwing money down in the drain every day, every month, every year. And that's a lot of money you're throwing away there. Another thing we see is too small of header pipe. That means that people take a shortcut. They saw, oh, there's a two inch connection on the shiller and there's a three quarter inch connection on the tank. So there must be a header that's two inch and there must be a drop piping that's uh, three quarter inch. That's not really how it works. So by undersizing your header, you restrict the flow. You don't get the efficiency of your system as you should have. Um, other things. How many times haven't I been out where they connected the tanks in the wrong way? That means that the supply is connected to the top port of the um, jacket instead of the other way, or even connected wrong out by the shiller. We see systems that are not vented. That means that there is no high point vent, so they have airlocks in the system. We see people connecting with hoses in between and the hoses kinks, so you don't get the uh, flow in between. There is tons of, of different things. And uh, ask yourself, go out and, and just follow your uh, glycol piping. Do I have the connections on the shell in the right way? What is the flow direction? Put some error markets on your piping. Follow the whole thing. Make sure that your actuated valves are on the supply and your manual valve is on the return. And then make sure that everything is connected the right way. Another thing we, we see, we see systems where you have no a loop back from your supply back to the return. And why do you need that? You need a valve and then you need a loop back from the supply to the return because you want to look back some flow back to the return. Because if all of your tanks is satisfied with the uh, flow and say that, okay, I am temperature, my temperature is raised, so they close all the valves, what's gonna happen? Then you suddenly have your pump, is still pumping out of the shiller, but there is no flow that can go around because all the valves are closed. So you're deadheading your pump, and suddenly you have a pump that's uh, heating up the glycol, the piping breaks, the pump breaks, and you add, you dump suddenly all your uh, glycol or so on, and you have a lot of problems, a lot of money to spend. Are you okay with omitting the bypass valve there in applications where the process pump is on a variable drive and there's a you know pressure transducer in the line, so it's it's knowing to turn the pump uh, all the way down, or do you still want to see a bypass there? You could. The the thing what's good with the bypass is this: a lot of the shiller unit is 
uh, have this uh, bypass valve that opens if something happens and let it back back to the reservoir. But the thing is, if this happens now, say that you have a warm day and uh, or you do some maintenance work, whatever, and you don't use this, what you're going to have is that the fluid slowly, especially if it's not well insulated, the fluid's gonna have the fluid's gonna have heat up out in your header and the whole system out there. And when you then suddenly need the fluid and you open up, you're not gonna have any cold fluid. And then suddenly you get all this warm fluid back to your shiller. And if your reservoir is not big enough, it could be that it takes a long time before it gets down on the temperature on the fluid again. So I prefer that you always have flow going in around the building and goes in the pipe all the time. It don't need to be much, but as long as it moves. And this is the case. If you have a well-insulated piping, even if it's not calling for cooling, you will get then the pump pumping out fluid and the fluid will come back and haven't lost anything. So in that way, it's just the cost of the pump that circulate the fluid. But if it's not well insulated, that's a different story because now you're going to heat up and you're going to run your shell even more. That was Dan Stromberg here on the Master Brewers podcast. If you'd like to learn more about engineering and utilities, consider attending the Master Brewers Brewery Engineering course in September. Details are available under the Education tab at mbaa.com. Are you enjoying the Master Brewers podcast? Let me tell you about a simple way you can help us keep making more. Take a minute to thank our sponsors. There's no way we could produce this show without generous support from sponsors like Hopsteiner, Brew Ninja, Proximity Malt, BSG, Gussamer, and Precision Fermentation. So please, let them know you heard their message on the Master Brewers podcast and that you appreciate their support. Master Brewers offers a wide range of resources for breweries of all sizes and stages. Stay current on the latest scientific advancements, technical information, and industry trends by joining Master Brewers. Join today and use offer code BEER2021 to save 20% on dues now through December 31st, 2021. Master Brewers. United We Brew.